Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Welcome to Girl on the Gov, the podcast where our goal is to make politics more accessible and less intimidating. The show features an interview with an expert in the political field, walking us through the many cues we have about politics, civics, government, and more. By providing civic education in the places we are, on our phones, and in the language we speak. And yes, we know we say like a lot. It's kind of the point, because politics needed a rebrand. Welcome to Not Top Stories of the Week. Girl on the Gov the podcast. We took a hiatus this week from top stories, but we are here with another amazing episode for for all y'all. We have an amazing guest and a few things to cover in the meantime too. Mm, just a few things. So, like we said, this is the one week where you are not getting a top story separate episode. We know that this is probably confusing because we like just launched top stories. It's not going anywhere she will be back next weekend we just had a long weekend where we were working and a lot of special projects on on the docket and unfortunately we just couldn't make it the best product that we possibly could for its own episode so and like you know because the news was bleak it was it was dark it was a dark day it it just nothing and and then like nothing was happening it just you know kind of just the stars aligned on that one so here we are though and before we even get into like some news stories that we do want to talk about Mm. we have something to shout out so samantha do you want to do the honors yes okay so you guys know that we love 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 public wise if you don't you're like wait what's public wise this is your hint to go back and listen to our episode with public wise we get into a little thing called the insurrection index and it is juicy it is Mm -hmm. fun it is like tea filled tea filled Mm -hmm. also wait side note by the way do you know who now asks for the tea like literally is that phrase your parents yep yeah i literally was texting them i don't even remember what it was about something so low-key and they're oh my god can't wait to hear the tea (laughs) i love it you know my dad said to me the other day he was like oh you're talking about like some guy that they thought i thought was hot and he was like oh so he's not a snack and i was like whoa sick dad nice (laughs) nice nice lingo 
I can't. Well, speaking of snacks, I, I think there might be snacks at this particular <laughs> yeah. event that we're about to shout out. Perfect. Segue. So we'll get into it. So our friends at Public Wise will be hosting a fundraiser on September 19th at 7 p.m. Eastern time because it's in New York. You know, those details featuring performances by drag ambassadors from partner organization Drag Out the Vote. Which, by the way, guys, if you aren't already following them on IG, go do it now. Why Why are you waiting? You can listen you to this for? and follow them at the same time. Mm-hmm. Multitasking. We love to see it. Only in this instance. And don't do it while driving. Anyways, <laughs> the event will be at the Public Hotel in New York. We would love to see you there. Everyone would love to see you there. You're going to want to go bring a friend. You know the deal. So a few background details. Public Wise, which is an organization committed the way that I just absolutely made committed with two T's, committed with 10 T's was particularly interesting. I like I committed to the word committed. Anyways, <laughs> an organization committed to making sure democracy is accessible to all, especially black, Latinx, AAPI, and other communities of color who have been most disenfranchised from our political systems is partnering with Drag Out the Vote to get out the vote in LGBTQIA plus communities. Those who are suppressing the rights of this group are the same individuals who support the big lie and are passing voter suppression laws in their states that target BIPOC voters. So this event is a fundraiser. It's a fundraiser. Like Fund you have fun raiser. and you also raise money. And you're funding. Ooh. Well, I guess that's like the origin of the word fundraising, that- I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> looks up I definition that's probably why Thank they you. created the word fundraiser is because fund is in it i don't know mm. Mm. okay it's i'm no coming webster all to- coming all together oh <laughs> also i think i was about to be like webster is such a cute name and then i was like oh shoot why do i think that and then it's stormy webster stormy webster i thought yeah i, w- I was like, like weird yeah. weird how that happens anyways mm-hmm. we are really killing it at staying on on brand on topic well on brand for us to be adhd very off topic is yeah part of the game but regardless a few additional details of this event is up your alley which it should be if you're in new york this is going to be a fun one also public hotels i love it i love it like that alone tickets start at a hundred dollars and include a two-hour open bar and drag Ayo. show <laughs> like <laughs> that name sounds a, like my name dream a night. better right i literally no fully you are literally getting out the vote you are supporting an amazing organization that is in the civic world organizations <laughs> i said sound weird when you say it like that but and you get a two-hour open bar and a fucking drag show are we joking i wish i was in new york city i would be there so quick but um you know flights these days flights these days are really trying to kill us slowly it's fine mm-hmm. we're we're bitter we have a lot of bitterness towards that but we are not going to let that bitterness ruin this awesome shout out because we are excited we are very excited this is a great event great fundraiser great organizations great cause if you guys have any questions about the events tickets etc feel free to dm us email us etc and we'll get you hooked up with all of the details but again mark your calendar september 19th at 7 p.m public hotel new york new york yeah what the fuck was that accent new york <laughs> like that's what i even... i feel, I feel like your fellow new yorkers would week? not be happy with you oh my god no they would like absolutely throw me off the islands 
off the island she's exiled but yes definitely go check out public wise first of all go listen to our episode with them and definitely check out this fundraiser if you're in the tri-state area or you're gonna be in new york at that time this is seriously i'm sure gonna be so fun but again just partnered with some really amazing action items and advocacy so we'd love to see it but to that moving forward there were a few things that happened over the weekend a little bit last week and one of them being Jackson Mississippi and the water crisis that's been happening there and so we definitely wanted to like go over what happened and kind of give any updates on where that's all at so basically Mississippi state capital Jackson was without reliable water supply Monday after rain and flooding pushed the Pearl River to dangerous levels and then the mayor declared a water system emergency Monday evening because of complications from the Pearl River flooding. He said issues at the OB Curtis water plant resulted in low or no water pressure for many residents. The water shortage is likely to last the next couple of days, and the city has been under a boil water notice since last month because tests found a cloudy quality to city-supplied water that could hinder the disinfection process and lead to illness. So the EPA issued a lengthy report in 2020 outlining major shortfalls of Jackson's water system, which included failure to replace lead pipes, faulty monitoring equipment, and inadequate staffing. The community's lack of reliable water has trickled to even at the most basic services, such as drinking fountains at a middle school. And water pressure has been restored in some of Jackson. And the governor Tate Reeves and the city government Ugh. and the city government said, "Yeah, Ugh. today the tanks are full. Water pressure is solid." The governor said, "While there may be more bad days in the future, we have, however, reached a place where people in Jackson can trust that water will come out of the faucet. The bar is so low. So low. People and in I'm, Jackson can trust the toilets can be flushed. And I'm not holding my breath. Like no. that's the thing. No." I have some family that live in Jackson and outside of Jackson, and I think it's, it's been a mess. And I think the big story here is environmental justice and climate justice and how this is one of those examples of how low-income communities of color are hit first and worst by climate change. And that's exactly, I feel like, what we're seeing here. It's unacceptable and unfortunate. On so many levels. And I think, you know, one of the things that comes to mind here in a few different lights is that we need to do a deep dive on Mississippi politics. We need to get Mm -hmm. into the weeds here because obviously the story is on our radar. This governor also referred to as tater tot by some I've heard. I've heard through the grapevine. I'm obsessed with that. Unfortunately, he is a moldy gross tater tot yeah that you know i mean i also don't like tater tots which is a very justice for tater tots everywhere yeah but i feel like i could give that name to like so many politicians i love i just love that tater tot tater fucking tot i really justice for tater tots but also like again like i really i love a lot of forms of potato tater tots not it not it why is it smushed a little piece of potato why can't we have a solid piece of potato why are we smushing it apart to bring it back together you know it's a lot of piecemeal to you know it's like extra process doesn't make any sense regardless we know i'm no chef but we knew you know lightly from afar that we're personally not fans of this governor he is definitely well known for being a p 
POS. I was about, I was really about to mess that up. Piece of shit. Mm. Yeah, piece of shit. Thank yep. you. I was. I almost just tried to like. What is the word? I tried to just censor myself on our own show. Yeah. Since when? No, but. <laughs> Since when? Anyways, the point is, is we are not super, super familiar with the deep dive of Mississippi politics. We and need to Jackson get more into specifically, it. I think too, yeah, because agreed. like the whole abortion, you know, Roe got really overturned because of a lawsuit coming out of Jackson. Totally. But yeah, maybe we add it to the docket. For sure. We do. We do. And if you are a Politico listening to this podcast and are in the Mississippi scene, please, please, please DM, email us. Let's chat. We, we've we got a lot of learning to do. A little 100%. deep dive moment. Well, yes. I think things are slowly getting better in Jackson. But again, it was a story that should not be slept on because of all the implications and intersections that this story really highlights. So... There's that on that. We'll keep you posted with any updates, any action items Agreed. we can share. But moving forward, Congress is back. So the Senate starts their session today. We're recording this on Tuesday. And the House won't be back until September 13th. But the Senate definitely has a lot on their docket. And we will be covering that in weeks and days to come. TikTok and top stories of next week. And then there were some updates on the old Trump X FBI collab. <laughs> Honestly, and that's just like such the best way to refer to it. It kills me. I just really am obsessed does. with it. Maybe we also need to like come up with a term or a phrase for like the the affair between the ignorant girlfriend, the cheating boyfriend, and the mm. other woman who just wants to be excluded excluded from the narrative. That what we talked about that first yeah. time it dropped. I wonder if there's a like phrase for that. Menage a trois. <laughs> <laughs> um, like it's, it's almost like a like like fun love term triangle? for like an affair there's got to be some we'll look into it adultery <laughs> perhaps or like maybe there's like a movie or like a reference we can make to like a dynamic like that what we'll think on it we'll brainstorm but basically a federal judge's extraordinary decision on monday to interject in the criminal investigation into former President Donald J. Trump's hoarding of sensitive government documents at his Florida resident showed an unusual. Sl- what? You're scaring me. You know, it would be like <laughs> such a great show. Oh, like God. A special episode. What? An episode of TLC is like a hoarders. He's mm. a hoarder. And then they, they go through or storage wars and they're like emptying the boxes they're guessing like what the value is i mean like you know it's only like u.s top secrets and national security at risk but i mean yeah the content though the content honestly yeah he needs like a hoarder therapist we need to get to the bottom of this and unpack it mm. but anyways so there was an unprecedented intervention by a federal district judge into the middle of an ongoing federal criminal national security investigation which is this federal judge decision that we talked about that broke i think it was over the weekend or maybe late last week so here's what happened siding with trump the judge eileen m cannon ordered the appointment of an independent arbiter to review the more than 11,000 government records the FBI seized in its search of Mar-a-Lago last month. She granted the arbiter, known as a special master, wow, broad powers that extended beyond filtering materials that were potentially subject to attorney-client privilege to also include executive privilege. 
So basically, this is helping Trump a whole lot. And again, a very unprecedented move by a federal district judge. So a little bit of a one step forward, two steps back moment on this. Mm-hmm. You know how I know I've looked at a screen too long. I'm mm-hmm. looking at our story and where it starts with siding with Mr. Trump. I read it as sitting. <laughs> S-I-D-I-N-G. I was like sitting it's kind of rare you see the word citing i feel like especially um at the beginning of a sentence capitalized i don't know it did kind of throw me off but again this is definitely a hiccup a speed bump in this investigation yeah and not sure where it's gonna go from here i'm sure there'll be updates all week long so we'll guess what keep you updated i still have hope i really do like this you know it didn't it did not me off i every time sam says i have hope it makes me have hope because when Sam has hope, something real is happening here. Whereas, like, if she doesn't have hope, she's she's usually pessimistic. She's she's usually like, nope, nothing, nothing's not gonna happen. Like, okay. And I'm over here in my glitter rainbow world. Like, I don't know. I feel like. <laughs> so bottom line is Samantha's hopeful, and that means a whole lot. Just wanted to put wow. that out there. But, what can I say? But we have an amazing guest. Let's introduce her. Super, super, super important topic. And we're excited for y'all to hear it. Do you want to introduce her? Absolutely. Well, we are going to get right into it because we did take a little bit of time yibber and yabbering about top stories. So nonetheless, our interview is all about incarceration, prison pipeline, and more. And it is with Dr. Nika Jones-Tapia. She is the managing director of Justice Initiatives at Chicago Beyond. So... Without further ado, here is Dr. Nika Jones Tapia. Well, we are going to get into it. You are the managing director of Justice Initiatives at Chicago Beyond, and we have to go above and beyond and know what this organization does, what you do there. Can you give us a little bit of that walkthrough as to the day-to-day and what goes on at Chicago Beyond? Sure. So first, thank you for having me. So Chicago Beyond is an impact investor. And we focus on investing in our young people and the communities in which they live, really to help them to live full lives and to to be free, ultimately. We understand that in order for our young people to thrive and to really reach their, I would say their fullest potential, we need systems that work with them instead of against them. And so our approach is pretty holistic. We invest in individuals, ideas, organizations, all aimed at making a systems level impact to support our young people. And we have been around now for about six years, a little more than six years actually. And in that six year time frame, we have invested more than 40 million in those individuals and ideas and organizations that I mentioned before to really I would say challenge the status quo to to really think about how we can minimize the inequitable practices that our young people have had to contend with. And mm-hmm. like we all know, there's no single barrier to equity, right? So right. we invest in everything from healthcare to safety to education and really value that more holistic approach. Yeah, I love that. Well, what are some of the justice initiatives that you work on through this role as managing director? Sure. So the justice initiatives specifically are really strategies to really help us to do two things. 
reduce the number of people who are incarcerated. And I would say more generally and broadly to increase safety in communities. And it's not just safety in the community that we live in, but it's also the community of people behind those bars and barbed wires in mm-hmm. jails and prisons. And we really try to do that in two major ways. And that's through making investments in communities, especially those communities that have been most impacted by incarceration and changing the conditions or supporting correctional institutions to change the conditions by which people who are confined in and work in jails and prisons have to deal with. Mm-hmm. So like lots of things. There, There's a lot going on. Your day-to-day must be absolutely craziness, which we got to also like ask on a side note, like what's your routine like? Like how's your day-to-day? Like how do you get it all done? Well, I'll tell you, you, you the, the crazy part of my day is not my work. It's So I'm a mom too. Mm, a that'll do it. Mom. So, you know, hello. That's craziness in and of itself. Totally. But I really try to start the day just in silence and, and in quiet because as the day progresses, things just, you know, things can go awry in any way. And so that's really my way to kind of get a handle on how I'm going to show up no matter right. how the day goes. And that's really a practice that I developed when I was working in a correctional institution. Like, you know, just like now, you, you don't have control over how your day goes. And so I found that I was able to show up better when I was more grounded. And then as the day goes on, I'm usually now engaged with various people from community members who are focused on feeding families or having after school activities for kids to keep them safe or having peer support groups for people who are leaving correctional institutions. And I try to prioritize conversations with people who have been most impacted by the system. So people who have been incarcerated, staff who have worked in these facilities, correctional administrators, current and former. And I try to wrap those conversations conversations up by the middle of the day. So then I use my afternoon time to really be thoughtful, understanding each of those vantage points, how we can bring each of those groups who are typically siloed together to really reach some some solutions that work for all of us. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. I'm going to copy you and start my day in silence going forward. I know. I need to start my meditation practice ASAP. It's going to be a very necessary add-on for a summer, but we do want to talk about your background as well and getting to this position. You know, what was that journey like? How did you end up here? You know, any sort of big moments along the way? What did that look like? There are always big moments along the way. <laughs> um, but really, I would say my whole life has really led me to the work that I'm doing now at Chicago Beyond. I oftentimes share that earlier in life, my father was incarcerated for a, a significant portion of my childhood. And undoubtedly, that experience helped to shape my passion for wanting to bring healing into correction, specifically in in jails and prisons. And it was during my time working in corrections that I really saw not just the impact of this system on the people incarcerated and the staff, but I really saw the impact of the system on larger families and communities. Mm -hmm. 
And I also had to come to the realization that that impact was so tremendous that it was impacting me. And so ultimately I needed to find a way that I could disrupt the system and change the system outside of it. And so I retired from corrections in March of 2018. And it was during my time in corrections that I met Liz Dozier, who's the founder of Chicago Beyond and really was introduced to the mission of the organization and understanding that I wanted to have an avenue where I could continue to make change, Chicago Beyond made the most sense. I mean, working with them, I have unrestricted latitude to work collaboratively with community to develop solutions. And I didn't have that working mm -hmm. in government. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Totally. Well, through your work too, you've launched Beyond Incarceration, this program. Can you tell us about what the program looks like, what it does? Give us the whole 411 on that. So Beyond Incarceration started in about 2019. So I had been with Chicago Beyond for about a year. And in that year that I had been with the organization, had been able to have many conversations with young people who were impacted by the criminal legal system and families who were impacted. And overwhelmingly, all of them talked about the disconnection that they experienced when they or a loved one was incarcerated and how they wished something different could be done to encourage positive family engagement, to really change visitation practices in jails and prisons. And so Beyond Incarceration was a partnership between Chicago Beyond, the Cook County Sheriff's Office here in Chicago, the Chicago Children's Museum, which is an unlikely partner in this, but I'll explain <laughs> in a second, and the Center for Childhood Resilience, which is a group of clinical professionals who focus on trauma. And so we wanted in that partnership to really think about how we could center positive family engagement for people who were incarcerated and their loved ones. And we had a set of piloted visitation experiences where we really centered the child and the family as opposed to security. We didn't mm. throw security out of the window, but yeah. we recognize that you could be secure while also doing things that help young people um, who were impacted by parental incarceration. Yeah. And we worked with all of our partners to really minimize some of the more traumatic parts of the visitation experience that negate families wanting to visit with their incarcerated yeah. loved ones. And I'll give you an example. So one of those piloted visitation experiences occurred at the Chicago Children's Museum, oh. where we had dads okay. who were incarcerated, dressed in plain clothes, be escorted to the Chicago Children's Museum and be able to just have a half day of family fun with their kids. And it was an experience that did, I think, two major things. One, it opened up the eyes of all of us, specifically the sheriff's office, of what child-friendly visitation could and should look like. Mm -hmm, and totally. two, it helped all people involved, the people incarcerated, their families, the staff, us as community organizations, to see people in their full humanness yeah, and to not just reduce them to what they were charged with. 
Mm -hmm. We were able to do all of that while keeping everyone safe, including yeah. the community. And so from the, the beyond incarceration visitation experiences, the result of that is that we created, Chicago Beyond created a model for visitation for all correctional facilities across the country to really be able to use that is trauma-informed, child-centered, and values family engagement. And real-time results in Cook County was that the more than 74,000 youth who are impacted by parental incarceration in Cook County every year now get to have trauma-informed visitation with their incarcerated loved ones, which uh, sets them up for success yeah. because they get to maintain a positive relationship with their incarcerated loved one. It sets a person incarcerated up for success because they mm -hmm. continue to be connected with the very people that motivate them to do better in right. life. And it helped the correctional staff because yeah. it helped them to see, again, people in their fullness, but it also helped them to feel like they were a part of a person's success. Right. Totally. That's amazing. Love all it's of like that. It's like the full Monty, which I think yeah. is so key. And I love the whole concept of also just getting to see someone as a full human. Like that is yes. so important in this like visualization. With the McDonald's app, you can get your favorite thing delivered to your door. So if you were looking for a reason to skip washing those dishes you left in the sink, consider this a sign. Ba -da -ba -ba -ba. Right now, get $0 delivery fee with any purchase of $15 or more, only in the app. At participating McDonald's, minimum purchase excludes tax and service fees. Delivery prices may be higher than in restaurants. Other fees may apply, not valid with any other offer, discount, or coupon. And also, I was so curious where the museum came in, but now it makes so much sense. Yeah. And right. I love that. Are there any other sort of settings that you guys have used as part of this program and, you know, or some others that you guys would love to, like, try out? Yes. So we also piloted a visitation experience at the jail, at Cook County Jail in Chicago. Mm -hmm. And with those same partners, the Chicago Children's Museum and the Alori Center for Childhood Resilience was able to transform a space in the jail to, to look and feel as similar as it could to the Chicago Children's Museum. And it, it too resulted in a positive day of exchanges from all of the people impacted by this and has left an indelible mark on all of us. There was not a dry eye in the room for any of these yeah. visits. And I'll tell you, I've worked with some of the biggest and burliest correctional staff in law enforcement <laughs> and all of them walked away, moved and impacted by this experience. And I recently visited the visitation program that is now set at Cook County Jail, modeled after Beyond Incarceration. And the staff there, too, commented on how they will even work at its shifts to just to be able to experience the love and the warmth that they see amongst family members in that visitation experience. You know, everyone wants to be a part of someone's success and, and this gives them the opportunity to do that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Love all of that. That's super awesome. Well, we want to move into our I Have a Stupid Question segment because we want to dive deeper 
into this topic and really get a full understanding of everything and break down all the definitions. But to start off really simple, we want to know like really what does incarceration mean and does that like reflect a particular type of time behind bars? And then kind of like just a little additional question to that, like what is the difference between jail and prison? And like, is there is there one that exists there? Okay. My memory is horrible, so I'm going to try to remember everything that you just asked. So let's start with incarceration. Incarceration really refers to the confinement of a person in a jail or a prison, meaning they don't get to leave. They're, they're, and if I may also draw attention to the words that I intentionally use when I'm talking about incarceration. I always refer to people who have been incarcerated as people. I never use terms like inmate or offender or label them as whatever crime they have been charged with, like murderer or rapist. And I do that because when we use terms like inmate, offender, those things like that, it really sets the foundation for dehumanization because Mm -hmm. it takes that humanity out of a person immediately. We no longer see them as a a mother or a father or a child. And and so I wanted to just highlight that, particularly for the audience, that words matter. And so you also asked about the difference between a jail and a prison. That's a great question because a lot of people use those terms interchangeably and they're very different. So a jail is a place where people are most people housed in jails have not been convicted of a crime. In fact, 75% of people housed in jails have not been convicted of a crime. They're held there while they are awaiting trial. The other 25% of people held in jails have been convicted of a crime, but their sentence is typically less than a year. And so they may carry out their sentence in that jail. A prison holds people who have been convicted of a crime. And those crimes can range from a level that we call nonviolent, such as theft, or it can include people who have been convicted of more violent charges. Mm -hmm. Got it. Got it. I was always so curious if there was a difference. And look at that. There is. So glad we've got that to find. For another leg to this journey, what is the prison pipeline? So the prison pipeline really refers to a a set of, I would say, policies and procedures and practices that emphasize punishment and Mm. incarceration over resources to help people to thrive. And I will oftentimes talk about the trauma to prison pipeline. And this is what I really saw in my experience working in corrections is that 99% of the people who are incarcerated by research, I would say 100% by my experience, have had at least one traumatic event in their lifetime. And why is that important? Because to have that overwhelming number of people to have experienced trauma to be charged with a crime, there is clearly some relationship there for me between trauma and engagement in criminal activity. Mm -hmm. Yet what we have seen is that there's a dramatic disinvestment in trauma healing supports, particularly in black and brown communities and poor communities. And that is why I 
oftentimes will reference the trauma to prison pipeline. Mm-hmm. The government has has seriously disinvested in healing supports for Black and Brown people. Mm-hmm. Totally. Well, to continue this, what is restorative justice? How does that play in? That's also a great question. Restorative justice is a response to harm that has been caused where the person who has caused the harm is brought into community with the people they have harmed. And it is really a way for us to hold a person accountable while still allowing them to benefit from the positive social fabric that they may or may not have experienced. It draws people in instead of the current system that we have, which pushes people out into the margins. Mm -hmm. And so with restorative justice, there is typically a conference that is held where the person who has caused the harm and the people they have harmed come together and talk about what happened, the impact of what happened, and together come to a solution that all of them can agree with that will help mitigate the impact of that harm. In the current system, there is really no avenue by which a person who has been harmed can articulate what they want to have happen with the person who has caused the harm and to really understand what led up to it, to make full meaning of it. And so that leads to a host of other issues, but the, the process of restorative justice mitigates many of those issues because it allows everyone involved to make sense of what happened and it allows for real rehabilitation. We don't see restorative justice very prevalent in today's system. It happens in pockets. Right, right, totally. It feels like a nice closure moment in a sense or provides sort of a pipeline to that, which is great. Another thing we want to sort of circle back to is some more trauma, collective trauma specifically. (laughs) Can you help us define what that means? So collective trauma is a response to a traumatic event that's shared by a group of people. And that group of people can be as small as a family unit. And in the case that we're talking about, the traumatic event can be incarceration. It can be as large as a whole society. And that traumatic event could be a global pandemic. And so it really ranges, but as it relates specifically to the criminal legal system, it really talks about, or it at least... I think references the collective harm that this system causes to everyone touched by it. The mm-hmm. people who are justice involved, the, the their families, the staff who work in these systems, their families, and by essence, the broader community. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Well, thank you for defining all those things for us to move forward to. We want to dive deeper into just really incarceration in this country and kind of look at some numbers first. Can you answer how many people are incarcerated each year in the U.S.? I will say the U.S. leads the world in incarceration. We have about 5% of the world's population, yet we incarcerate about 25%. Of the population. It's absolutely crazy. Absolutely. Um, And yet we're not safer. So it it doesn't make sense 
fiscally, socially. And so every year about 600,000 people are incarcerated in prisons and even larger, more than 10 million people are incarcerated in jails, cycling in and out. Wild. That is insane. I saw this TikTok. It's classic. What else do I do? But hang on TikTok. And the other day, <laughs> and it was like, the US really is number one. And it was all the statistics of all the shit that we're doing wrong, including yeah. this. And yeah. I was like, oh, there there we are. Just number absolutely one. killing it. <laughs> oh, God, I love that. So anyways, obviously, we need to change that. But we do want to talk about some of the other details involved here. What are some of the people that are incarcerated? What are they typically accused of? And I want to make sure we're talking accused, too, because just because someone's behind bars yeah. does not mean that they're guilty. Very mm-hmm. important distinction. Yes. Yeah. So people are charged with a variety of of crimes from theft to like, I, and, and I keep saying theft because I, I have in my head the countless people I encountered while I worked in the system who were incarcerated because they were stealing food from grocery stores to feed right. themselves or their families. Right. People can be incarcerated for being homeless. Mm-hmm. People also are incarcerated for more heinous crimes like murder or sexual assault. And one thing that uh, sticks out in my mind is that no matter what a person was charged with, hearing their story helped me as a psychologist and helped me as a person working in this institution to understand the countless number of systems who that could have supported a person in community and disrupted this cycle of them ending up in their current situation. So Mm -hmm. people were failed by countless systems, educational system, their family system, the community system, their religious and spiritual community. And so that's really why we have taken at Chicago Beyond a heightened focus in how we can better support resources and supports in communities so our systems don't continue to fail people. That's, I'm proud of our, our most recent work that I'm sure we'll talk about later that really focuses on that systems level change. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's so true. Well, looking to at, you know, obviously the amount of people who kind of enter the system and are incarcerated, what does it look like to have people who typically like exit prison each year? Is that, are those numbers good? Like how, how does that look? The actual rehabilitation that's supposed to be happening? Well, well, I want to be careful not to associate the number of people re-entering communities with rehabilitation, because I will tell you it's rare for rehabilitation to occur in a correctional facility as it exists now. But at least 95% of the people who are incarcerated re-enter communities. And that is a good thing because we don't want people to be confined for the rest of their lives. It's not normal to lock a human being in a cage. And, and, And that's the that's the essence of what we're doing in this country, locking human beings in cages. And so from prisons, anywhere from 600,000 to 650,000 people are released each year. And from jails, more than 10 million people are released each year. There is a constant turnover of people entering and exiting correctional systems. Mm -hmm. Wow, well, for the people that are behind bars, 
obviously there's got to be impact not just to them but to all the people that they know their families their children like we were sort of talking about program at the you know at the jump here but what is there are there any themes around that impact you know how that plays into families and how you know they feel how they act how they're able to live their lives the overarching theme is trauma Mm -hmm. and it's pervasive i'll start with some numbers you may be surprised and your audience may be surprised to hear that almost half of adults in the United States have had an immediate family member incarcerated. Almost half of us. Five million children have had an incarcerated parent. There are more than 400,000 correctional officers working in jails and prisons. So the, so the numbers are astronomical. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then when you look at the impact, and I say trauma, I, I'll I'll give you some some real life consequences just by having an immediate family member who's incarcerated. Research has shown you lose two years off of your life expectancy. Wow. So half of U.S. adults having an immediate family member incarcerated can lose two years off of their life expectancy. People who, research has also shown people who are incarcerated lose two years off of their life for every one year they're incarcerated. Oh my gosh. And reincarcerate people for long amounts of time. Yeah. When I was at Cook County Jail, the person who was in our custody the longest, pre-trial, they had not been convicted of a crime, was there for about 10 years, waiting for trial. And then for the staff, correctional staff have a life expectancy that's 20 years lower than the general population. The average correctional officer lives to age 59. Wow. Yikes. Wow. That is wild. It's such a different angle to look at it too, that I feel like we never talk about. We don't. We we yeah. oftentimes talk, focus our attention, rightfully so, on people who are incarcerated because they do have a, a, a very different experience in the system that is yeah. overwhelmingly traumatizing. Right. I also have seen firsthand the impact of this system on staff. I was just, I think I had just completed my doctoral degree. And so I was working at Cook County Jail. And during my tenure there, had developed many friendships with staff. And one friendship stands out to me was a sergeant. He was larger than life. Like you walk in and his laugh was boisterous. He would always come in. He was my go-to guy for anything I needed. He would say, you know, whatever you need, doc. And never, never was quite prepared for the Friday morning that I walked into the jail and was met with staff who had to inform me that he had taken his life the night prior. And I wish I could tell you that that was uncommon. Right. But one of the things that I think precipitated my exit from working in the system was I just grew tired of going to funerals for staff members. Oh man. Whether it was because they died from suicide or it was because they died from physical ailments, all of those things unfortunately were linked to 
their employment in a correctional institution. So what I saw was people were literally dying for a paycheck. And I felt compelled to share that part of the narrative too with the broader community because this system is not working, not just for people incarcerated, not just for their families, but it's also not working for the the hundreds of thousands of staff who work in these systems. Yeah. Oh my gosh, totally. That's such, yeah, again, just an angle we never, ever talk about. It's so important. Well, also like another factor obviously is like communities that are affected from incarceration and high incarceration rates. Like how does you know, communities with higher incarceration rates, like, is there a cycle that kind of perpetuates in those communities? Like, can you kind of explain how that these impacts flow into the communities surrounding them? Yes. So incarceration in this country is really about disconnection, Mm -hmm. disconnection from the larger society outside of the walls, disconnection from family, also disconnection from economic opportunities and housing. When when someone is incarcerated and they pay their debt to society, which is what incarceration is supposed to be, when they are released, when that person is released, they then experience a host of what we call permanent punishments, Mm -hmm. where um, that really describes a set of laws and policies and practices that further push people to the margins. They have difficulty finding housing. A lot of people who rent and own housing establishments will not allow people with the felony in their background to, mm-hmm. to, to live there. They are marginalized from employment. A lot of employers ask about your background history, right? And so the impact to that person lasts their entire lifetime. Because what we basically do is say, after you are no longer in the confines of this jail or this prison, we are going to further control your access to resources that we know will help you to thrive. And what does that do to whole communities? Well, most people who are incarcerated, specifically in jails, but also in prisons, come from a small number of communities. And so what we have are large numbers of people being pulled from a small number of communities, which disrupts the the economic well-being of that whole community. It it takes people out of the social fabric that can be there to support our young people as long as they have the appropriate resources to do so. And then from my own experience, having a, a parent who was incarcerated, it disrupts the family connection. And when, when a child in particular experiences the incarceration of a, of a parent, it sets them up for a host of potential negative outcomes like disengagement with school or mm-hmm. academic achievement, the possibility of substance use, mental health concerns, later in life having difficulty engaging with law enforcement and maybe set up for potential incarceration. All of those negative impacts though, specifically for a child, can be mitigated with two things. Research tells us as long as they are able to maintain a positive relationship with their incarcerated parent, and as long as they have a positive adult in their lives. And so what we know is that although the system of incarceration 
negatively impacts broader communities, there are things that we can do to reverse that and to support the well-being of our kids, their families, and entire communities. Mm -hmm. Really, and speaking of sort of the things that we can do, what do those look like? What are like maybe like the top two things that come to mind? And it's like these things set into action will have a really big impact. That's really the impetus behind our framework for holistic yeah. safety. And so we spent the last year talking with and partnering with people who have been most impacted by the system, people who have been incarcerated, correctional staff, current and former correctional administrators, survivors of crime, families, and really collectively thinking about how we can create conditions that help people to thrive. And what we boiled it down to is that we can no longer afford as a country to focus on control and punishment, understanding that those things are a cycle of trauma and violence that will continue. We have to create conditions where people feel whole, where they feel protected, and where they can be resilient in the face of trauma that we will inherently experience. What does that look like? That looks like connection, making sure people are connected with community, educational resources, health opportunities, making sure people see the value in themselves and that we emphasize the value that they have and not mm -hmm. For example, like I talked about earlier, not reducing people to a, a behavior that they did. Also thinking about how we can really think about building trust amongst all of us as community so that we recognize that with the appropriate resources and supports, we will all take care of the things that we need to take care of to be productive members of the community. That is holistic safety. That's our framework. And if you want to know more about it, your audience can visit our website, chicagobeyond.org and download our publication, Do I Have the Right to Feel Safe? It's mm. awesome. Well, I also have a question too, just, you know, we're political podcasts. We love to give like political action items, but where can people look to politically to make changes these types of changes like is local is looking to your local government best state federal like what what do you suggest if you're a voter if you're just trying to be civically engaged on this issue like where to look and where to make the most impact it ranges we as individuals can make impact we can get involved in what's happening in our local and national criminal legal system by advocating for just what I described, creating different conditions for people. And that can look like different things. It can look like initiating voter registration so that people who have backgrounds and people who are incarcerated in jails can vote and they can have their voices heard and participate in a democracy. We can also look at who we are voting for in, in positions of power, yeah. whether it is the local sheriff or it is the person setting the laws for the correctional institution, making sure that those individuals understand that we can no longer just identify ways to punish people and control them because that is how we have gotten into this system that's out of hand now and really not creating a greater safety net for us. Yeah. Instead, 
we should be looking at people who are focused on two things. One, investment in community so that people have real justice. And if you notice, I have not referred to the criminal legal system as the criminal justice system because Black and brown communities and poor communities haven't experienced justice. And what is justice? Mm. Justice is making sure people have the, the resources and the supports they need when they need them. And so making sure that we put people in positions of power who are focused on that. The second thing that elected officials should be looking at is how we can change the conditions in correctional institutions so that we're not continuing to harm this massive number of people that extends far beyond the correctional walls. Yeah. So there are multiple ways people can engage and they can also go to our website and download our publication for Do I Have the Right to Feel Safe to just get a better understanding of what the impact of this system is and how they can be more involved in it. Mm -hmm. That's a viral clip, just FYI. <laughs> <laughs> But thank you. That is so, so helpful for everyone. And I think a really good direction to the website too. We want to talk about all the resources that you guys provide and that people can access. Give us the plug, give us the four on one. Where can people find you guys, get involved, help out, all of that stuff? You can find more about our organization at chicagobeyond.org and you can see all of the wonderful organizations in community and people in community that we invest in and we can support and you can drive support to them as well. You can also learn more about our work specifically to change our, our system of incarceration and really work with us to get holistic safety instituted and embedded in more correctional facilities across this country. I'm very excited to say that a number of correctional administrators have engaged with us since we launched Do I Have the Right to Feel Safe? Because they recognize that we have to do things different. And so I think by engaging with our website, the larger community will, will identify some ways that we can all be a part of what that something different can be. And you can see all types of things that we're doing, events, and where we'll be out in the spaces and join us for those events. Yes, go join, go check it out. We will link all of that in the episode description for this. But thank you so much for coming on and explaining everything. Like, we really appreciate you and your time. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you both. It's been a pleasure, Maddie and Sammy. Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description.